Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with a Canadian journalist, Ethan Liu, who is an author of a brand new book, Once a Bitcoin Miner, Scandal and Turmoil in the Cryptocurrency Wild West. Ethan, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I am very well, and thanks for having me, Yuri. Of course, it is my absolute pleasure. So I, I know I gave you a little bit of an intro, but for my listeners who are less familiar with you and your work, how do you describe yourself? Well, I'm a journalist and I write a column in a Canadian newspaper called the Financial Post. And I, I used to work for Reuters and I think we all contain multitudes. So I am also an, uh, a Bitcoin investor and I got in quite early and had a lot of adventures through this space, and I ended up writing a book about that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, so, and I do want to get to, to your book, which came out today, but before we do that, let's start a little bit from the beginning and talk to me about your interest in journalism. Like, where did that come from, and what made you want to become a journalist? I think I've always loved writing. And I read a lot as a child, and I've always wanted to do something uh, related to writing. And that's what led me to journalism. But I think for a while, I wasn't that fulfilled as a journalist, um, particularly at my last job at Reuters. And mm -hmm. that by itself, that's the best job. I have nothing bad to say about <laughs> the job, but it's me specifically because uh, a lot of Reuters stories and not Reuters specifically, but uh, those are called wire services, like the Associated Press, Agence France Press. Mm -hmm. And they, the type of writing is very straightforward, very simple. And Reuters even caps it at 400 words. So the, if you go look at the Reuters website, every single story is 400 words, except the the really big ones. You have to get special permission just to go over 400 words. And mm -hmm. Sometimes it's quite formulaic and there's no little room for like literary flourishes and <laughs> I guess uh, a way to express yourself creatively to put in pop culture references. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I, I turned to writing books okay. 2020, 2021, and that has been very freeing. Wonderful. So, so yeah, so I, I've noticed on your, so your LinkedIn, you've worked for a few different um papers and journals what how do you decide which journal so for example you know you started at the toronto star then went to reuters and then in, now you work for a, a couple of different firms but how how did you decide which organization to start writing for and how do you decide when it's time to move on to the next one mm -hmm. well the sad thing is that in this media world uh, which is shrinking and with the disappearance of jobs you don't choose them most of the time they choose you ah. so <laughs> uh, 
you start off just doing internships and mm -hmm. you you basically so I, I guess for me um the the most prestigious papers uh mm -hmm. they they start hiring for the summer staff so this is when you're in university the way to get into journalism is the intern there in the summer uh intern at big organizations so the bigger ones they hire maybe for the next summer they hire in october and the less prestigious one maybe they hire in november december and all the way until maybe september march the next year so you mm -hmm. go down the totem pole and so for my second year i worked for a after my second year of university i worked for a little paper out on the east coast of canada gotcha okay i'm so also with with that um, and looking at you know what you write about now and and so you studied journalism in school but then you write about a, a diverse range of topics how did you decide which topics you wanted to focus on and and how has that evolved throughout your career hmm. it's great that you point that out because i i think that's both a strength and a weakness of mine <laughs> and uh, i i think i have pretty wide and eclectic interests and mm -hmm. i i don't have a lot of depth i don't have any specialization in anything but i I have quite a lot of breadth. I, I read uh, across lots of different subjects and areas. And I guess that basically determines what I write. And so I've, back when I was at Reuters um, and back at publications before that, when I was employed on staff, you would usually have a beat. You're expected to focus on something. And that was something that... Uh, that was the sort of mold that I don't think I ever fit very well into. Okay. And now I, I'm doing a lot more creative things uh, with books. And when I write now, it's a lot longer form in uh, newspapers and magazines, uh, stuff that could be a bit weird at times, but uh, it's, I find it uh, creatively fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. I, and I'm also curious on, on that side of it. So, you know, you, you mentioned you have a beat, uh, particularly when you were at Reuters, but now, or, you know, even then or, or nowadays, how do you decide what articles to write? Do they, they come from you? Are they assignments from the organization? Or what is that like? It's a bit of both. And they say to be a good writer, to be a successful journalist, you are expected to, to have your own ideas. And, but when you keep on having your own ideas uh, as you go forward through your career uh, people reading your stuff they will seek you out so mm -hmm. i have had quite a few pieces in magazines that that were assigned to me mm -hmm. but I, I would say maybe the proportion is like 70 30. Hmm. okay i gotcha so let's let's dig in a little bit more into to the subject of your current book and i want to talk about bitcoin and what first made you interested in first off exploring bitcoin and then writing about bitcoin so it began in my second year of university and i and a few of my friends we were on the dark web for no good reason <laughs> and but that was when i first saw the value of bitcoin because it was used at, as the medium of transaction on the dark web to buy your weapons and drugs and why do people use Bitcoin for that? It's because 
theoretically, it's something that doesn't have a central administrator. The funds cannot be seized or, you know, just taken away by the government mm -hmm. and, and they can't be blocked. So it, it, whether you agree with the dark web and how it operates, uh, the way that Bitcoin is used for that, there's, uh, I saw like a, a broader value in that, but I don't think I saw it to a huge degree. Maybe it was, uh, I didn't see it at, to a 10, you know, maybe it was like a three or a four. And it took me a while. Uh, it took me from when I first heard of Bitcoin uh, to when I invested in it. Uh, that took almost a whole year. Hmm. And what was that? I'm just curious, like that in the early days, what was that process like of like first discovering it to actually investing in it? Like what were you... Like, how did you figure out all of the necessary steps? Because I know especially, like, it's it's somewhat complicated, well-ish now for the average person, but especially in 2013 and 2014, it was particularly complicated. So what was that like for you in the early days? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You hit the <laughs> nail right on the head. Back then, it was a whole different ballgame, and it was even less mainstream than now. Um, yeah, the... the, the if you want to talk about the logistics, you had the, yeah. a few of my purchases. I, I had to send like a, a wire payment to some obscure bank in like Japan or something. And you, you just, you just don't know if that payment will actually go through until it shows up like uh, maybe three or four days afterward and you, you heave a sigh of relief. Uh, but uh, as for how I got, got to like find out more information about all of this, I, I actually had a lot of help because, and I think working as a journalist, I was able to, I, I was doing this story on Bitcoin and I, because as a journalist, uh, one of the great things about it is that you get to talk to lots of different people, people a lot smarter than you, and you get to ask them questions. So I, I talked to this guy who went on to be a co-founder of Ethereum and, uh, a great part of why I ended up investing, it was uh, because of that talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. So I guess since you already brought that up a bit, let's, let's get into your book because I, I, he, he plays a central role in, in your latest book, which is Once a Bitcoin Miner, Scandal and Turmoil in, in the Cryptocurrency Wild West. So what made you want to write this book now? Well, this is a world that has just endlessly fascinated me. Mm -hmm. And and you know what they say, uh, what they tell writers, write about what you know. And so it, it came very naturally to me. And and all writing is, it's basically how I deal with the world, how I process information. You know, uh, everything I encounter, I, I write about it. Good. And so, so particularly in your book, it's, you know, it's, it's about your journey to North Korea uh, for a cryptocurrency conference. So can you, because I, again, I, I know it's outlined in your book, but can you say a little bit more about what that experience was like and, and what made you want to go to North Korea for a crypto con cryptocurrency conference? Mm -hmm. So there are two main reasons I decided to go to North Korea. And one, it's is because it's always been on my bucket list. And that's a greatly personal reason because I was born in China and I used to talk to my parents about how, uh, about all the weird stuff that comes out of North Korea. And my father would say, that's not really weird at all. 
that's kind of like the China in which I grew up. Hmm. And but China has changed so much throughout the years, whereas North Korea has kind of remained stagnant. So I'd always thought that if I go to North Korea, it's kind of like a time capsule. I get to see like how, the place in which my father grew up. So that's one reason. And there is also the crypto reason that North Korea has been uh, accused of doing lots of shady stuff with crypto because it's been under sanctions and crypto is theoretically a way to get out of sanctions. And I just thought that'd be a golden opportunity to see what North Korea had been up to. Um, mm. I was quite excited at that. So, you know, when North Korea announced this conference, uh, I was open to the public, anyone could go. And I just thought, you know, this is my chance. <laughs> Excellent. And, and so can you, can you just talk about some, some, I guess maybe some of the most memorable moments of your, your time in, in North Korea that I, again, I, I know are chronicled in the book, but I'm just curious now looking back, like what really sticks out in your mind? So one thing that really stuck out was how unexpected everything turned out because, and this probably isn't a spoiler. One of the people in, on that trip, he was Virgil Griffith at the time, head of special projects at the Ethereum Foundation. And mm -hmm. he was arrested over his talk at the, at the conference. And, and the whole idea of uh, people giving talks at the conference, that came unexpected because we thought we were there to receive information from the North Koreans. We thought we were going to be passive participants. Mm -hmm. Now, Virgil, he, he was supposed to be a speaker. He knew that, I think, he in because he was a big shot. Mm -hmm. The rest of us, we were just normal people. And <laughs> on the first day, they told us, no, you guys are the conference. And uh, so a lot of the presenters, they just, they just really just made up everything on the spot. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I ultimately declined to, to present. And so that was, that was the thing that stuck out the most, definitely. Yeah, uh, I, I bet. Do you, um, why did you turn down presenting when you were there? So it, it was a lot of reasons. And, you know, these things, it's never just one thing. I, I right. did think that it would not be a good look <laughs> to, to present on crypto to North Koreans, but I, I, I don't presume to be able to see the future in any way. I, maybe I, I, I thought that idea, you know, on like a three or a four level. And it was, I think about a lot of things. So it was like a fleeting thought. It came in, it went out. And I also asked quite a lot of questions and the, the organizers were, I think they were of the position that, you know, if, uh, if you don't want to present, it's, it's totally fine. And they didn't really press me. And I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's, that's good. So as, as someone who is, who's in the space and you're writing about the space, what, what are you looking at now and what gets you excited about the, the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space? Mm -hmm. uh, what gets me really excited is that I can see, for example, uh, El Salvador, it has made Bitcoin legal tender. Mm-hmm. And I think when we are in places in the West where we have stable economies and functioning currencies, we take a lot of our infrastructure here for granted, but sometimes we forget how fragile that all is. And 
uh, I heard this story in Afghanistan that so when the Taliban were taking over the what the refugees who flee they uh, because of how terrible the infrastructure is how terrible the currency is mm-hmm. they don't get to take their money with them and I don't think that's a thing that's often talked about but they often leave penniless but there is this story that I heard of this young lady young woman who uh, because you know back when the coalition forces were were ruling Afghanistan for the past 20 years mm-hmm. I guess a government backed by the coalition forces uh, there was a whole westernization thing women started going to schools and everything and she had bitcoin and it was a perilous journey for her running away from Afghanistan she went through Turkey and Iran and her ship sank in the Mediterranean but she because she memorized her passphrase she effectively carried two bitcoins in her head and she was able to use that to fund a new life in Germany. So uh, I think more and more we are seeing use cases for cryptocurrency. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. That's a fantastic story, too. I, I had not heard of that before. So thank you mm-hmm. for sharing that. Um, so also, again, you're a proli- prolific writer. You also wrote a book called Field Notes from a Pandemic. Tell me about that book. Right. So that was my first book to be published, but that was a complete accident. (laughs) I was, yeah, that was a very unexpected book because uh, my current book, the Bitcoin book, Mm -hmm. it was supposed to come out last year, but because I wrote this other book last year, that book got pushed to this year. And the pandemic book happened because I was traveling to China. Uh, My grandfather at the time, uh, he was dying Mm -hmm. and it was at the very beginning of 2020, it was back when we heard of some some virus happening in China, but there were no lockdowns yet, uh, no lockdowns anywhere in the world. Even the epicenter city of Wuhan, that was in lockdown. Hmm. And and you know, I have, I lived through SARS in Asia, so I, I kind of have an idea of it. I def I thought at worst, COVID nineteen will be like SARS. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, grandfather dying, I, I made the trip. And while I was there, that was when everything just erupted. Wow. And I actually had quite a lot of travel disruptions uh, getting home. So basically that, that book is about uh, that trip and uh, my reflections on the whole phenomenon. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to ask about the pandemic in general in, in your field of journalism, but it, it sounds like you also have a very unique perspective, having, having been in, in China at the very start of that and then coming back over. But, you know, looking back, how, how has the pandemic particularly affected your work these last couple of years? Um, I mean, you know, it, obviously you've written a couple of books through this, through the pandemic, but besides that, has, has there been, what kind of an effect has, has, it, has it happened in your industry? Uh, well, if we want to talk about me, uh, stuff aside from me personally, uh, something widespread in the industry, which is quite sad, is that lots of publications cut their budgets during the pandemic. And I, but I don't think this is, this may, might be specific to journalism. I think it's quite widespread. Right. Lots of people were not making lots of money, but at one point, one of the magazines I was writing for, big, big publication in Canada, they said, mm-hmm. we could only pay you in uh, 90 days. And it used to be you invoice them like 30 days. So 
mm-hmm. that was uh, th- oh, that was a yeah. big thing. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I'm I'm curious. Um, you know, you're as somebody who went to North Korea, who traveled again during during the pandemic. The idea of fear. So in in like reading some of these stories, you know, just the idea of going to North Korea to most people would be something that's would probably make them very apprehensive and, and afraid. Um, and you have a tendency of kind of going toward these these types of, of situations. How do you approach the idea of fear and and push past it? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, not quite sure how to answer that, but I I, I can say that uh, you've definitely hit a, a nail on the head. I was at uh, so before North Korea like right before it, because you can't fly into North Korea directly. We all flew from China. And so when I met the rest of the other people going into North Korea, there were eight of us. And the first thing one of them said to me was, what made you decide to do this uh, outlandish thing of going to North Korea? And I said, oh, well, what about you? And, uh, and we all just laughed. And I think in an unspoken way, we, we all knew that, that we shared something because uh, other than going to North Korea, none of us had anything in common, hmm. but, but that was enough, you know, that, that, like, I think we shared this sense of adventure and I, I think ultimately I, I like to think of myself actually as a cautious guy <laughs> because I, but you know, these things, they're all relative, but I am comparing right. myself to someone like Virgil Griffith, who, uh, hmm. who, who, uh, who, I think perhaps has a much higher to- higher tolerance for this stuff than me, who took way bigger risks and, hmm. yeah, uh, ultimately didn't have a fruitful end. Right, right. Interesting. So, with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you were ever given? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think when, when I, I get faced with that question, I would think back uh, 10, 20 years, what I would have done if I can travel back in time. So I would say you should read more and take more risks when you're younger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for taking the time today out of your, of your busy schedule. Um, I know it's book launch day to, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to follow you online, read more of your articles and, and buy your books, where is the best place they can go to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can just Google me. I'm very easy to find Ethan conventional spelling and last name uh, L-O-U. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter among all the other social networking sites. And if someone wants to buy the book, I would say, if you don't like Amazon, try a local independent bookstore. (laughs) Wonderful. I appreciate that. And uh, I will put all the links in the show notes so they can also click right through. Uh, But again, Ethan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. 
to see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yurikatalo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.